Well, aloha. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. Still morning here in Hawaii. It's 1 o'clock here, a few minutes after, for those of you listening live. In the west coast of the United States, 4 o'clock in the east, nice to be here. Our topic for today's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is the longing of the part to be whole. This is a class about love as a spiritual energy, uh, capital L love as a spiritual force. I must tell you that having studied metaphysics all of my life, really, in many different entry points from silver mind control and the S trainings and encounter groups that came out of the 1960s and early 70s. And then in the 90s, I began to study esoteric philosophy and the theosophical tradition. And one of the biggest breakthroughs for me in my whole study of metaphysics and mysticism, meditation and mindfulness, was the understanding of love as another word for consciousness itself. Now, love is often referred to in a spiritual context as peace. There is also the allegory of love as light. You often hear love and light in the spiritual context. And peace as peace of mind, well, we often say and have said for years that peace is more, much more, than the absence of violence, uh, warfare, adversity, conflict in the world around you. That peace really begins with uh, inner peace, a peaceful state of mind, a calm and quiet countenance. That peace is a level of consciousness or awareness. But to actually equate love with consciousness, was a dawning for me. I mean, I was thunderstruck when I realized that to develop my consciousness, to promote for myself uh, levels of expanded awareness required that I learn more about the nature of love, not merely as an emotion or an affinity, or some kind of interpersonal chemistry. For emotional love certainly is that. And yet, when we use the word love in a spiritual context, it means so much more. And I don't think most people understand that. And it's one reason why people have such a hard time with the concept found in Christianity and Buddhism in particular, but in other religions as well, if you look a little more deeply, that we are to love everyone, um, even our enemies. Some would say especially our enemies. And to think of love not merely as an emotion and not merely as the opposite of hate, but is the absence of fear 
requires then that you consider that fear must be also much more than an emotion. That love and fear are probably the best way to categorize all emotions. You can call all of your positive emotions love-based, and any so-called negative emotion or emotion that hurts or upsets you, angers you, irritates you, frustrates you, a fear-based emotion, that's a very important corollary. But love as a force and fear as the absence of love as a force goes far beyond the emotional nature to a quality of spirit, a quality of divinity, the heart of God, as represented by Christ, Buddha, and the nature of the human soul. It's a middle ground between the father aspect and the mother aspect of the Holy Trinity. Keeping in mind, as I often say, the mother aspect being the better term for what Christians call the Holy Spirit. It's uh, odd to me that so few Christians uh, ever consider the Trinity as Father, Son, and wouldn't it be Mother? I mean, remember those IQ tests where you're shown a group of words and then you have to fill in the blank or say which word is missing, what doesn't belong here? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, does that mean the Father is not Holy Spirit? Or that the Son, the Christos, is a spirit that's less holy or not holy? Well, of course, uh, uh, a a Christian uh, minister or a Catholic priest would be quick to say, oh, no, no, they're all co-equal branches of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but why are you using gender to refer to two of the three and leaving out the mother? Well, women have been left out of the church from the beginning. Women have been discriminated against and patronized since the beginning of time, so that the church would take a basic model of father, son, and mother and replace mother with Holy Spirit, pretty understandable. But you, in your own mind, need to plug that back in and understand that father and mother are a use of genders that refer to the polarities of spiritual energy, that refer to, in the case of the father, divine will or God's mental aspect. And the mother aspect, or Holy Spirit, as the church calls it, is the incarnated activity, sometimes called intelligent activity. It refers to the physical material universe, the reflection of the father aspect. And because spirit is causative to the material world, you can even see the word mother in matter, right? Matter is mater, it's mother. There's no debate here. So spirit and matter are the polarities. The spirit is causative, outgoing, radiatory, 
The mother aspect in nature is receptive, life-giving, manifesting, nurturing. So that's why the ancients used gender to refer to these two aspects of divinity, father and mother. I think it's a crime to refer to the mother aspect as Holy Spirit. And if you have any opportunity to educate people in your life about this, explain it to them. I think you're doing a wonderful service helping to awaken them. And that, of course, begs the question of what is the sun? What is the Christos, the Buddha nature, this middle element, the offspring of spirit and matter, so to speak, the, the heart and soul of this trinity? And that, of course, is divine love. Love is magnetic, is it not? Yeah, I already said it's radiatory, a divine will. The father aspect is radiatory, and, and the son, divine love, and the mother aspect, the working out, the reflection in physical dense, all comes from the father aspect, divine will. So that's radiatory too. But as the son, the Christos, the Buddha nature, love as consciousness corresponds to the soul. And it is radiatory and magnetic. And so when we talk about the longing of the part to be whole, I'm referring here to and simply wanted to use this shorter than usual class today to bring your attention to the fact that there is in each of us, and most people are in touch with it, at least sometimes, there is in each of us a longing to know our source, a magnetic pull or attraction, if you will, to something greater than ourselves. In this week's uh, newsletter, which I hope you're getting, you probably are, that's how you come to... Uh, listen to this program. I quoted the great psychologist Roberto Asagioli, um, the founder of psychosynthesis, a uh, theosophist himself, a prolific writer, a brilliant man, who compares this longing, uh, this urge, some would say a drive or a push or a force, this, this magnetism that is capital L love as consciousness. He compares it to a flower that turns toward the sun and even follows the sun across the sky throughout the day, growing in the direction of its source as if to reach out as a as a response to this magnetic pull. If you think of it that way, you could think of the flower stretching out and reaching toward the sun. At the same time, its roots reach deep into the earth like an antenna, like a radio antenna. You know, it's got a sky element that radiates, but it also needs to be grounded and if you know a little about radio, there's a sky wave, but there's also a ground wave. 
<laughs> so we have the same thing in metaphysics. The flower is reaching toward the sun, or the sun magnetically is, is, is there, there is a, a magnetic attraction, you could say, between the sun and, and all plant life. And certainly animals enjoy the sun. My cat's always, you know, head for the sunlight streaming in through the open window. Whenever they uh, get an opportunity, they love to lay in the sun. And, and even though we know too much sun is bad for our skin and can lead to uh, problems with cancer, we still love to lay in the sun and work on our tan. And uh, so... All energy comes from the sun. It's a star. Interestingly, all matter comes from the sun. Wasn't it that Joni Mitchell song that says we're all stardust? Well, it's true. Every element in your body, every bit of matter, every molecule, every atom in your body, every element from the periodic table was created in a star someplace. That's what your body is, stardust. And everything else around you, the entire material world, came out of a star. And then this matter, which is the earth and everything upon it, that part of it that is organic or living needs sunlight as a form of energy. Now, you know, we're getting better at collecting it directly as passive solar or photovoltaic, but in the past, we've relied on a rather crude roundabout way of pulling on sunlight. When you burn coal, of course, or oil or gasoline, diesel fuel, jet fuel, kerosene, what have you, those are all fossil fuels, as you know, and come originally from the sun. So all energy and all matter comes from the sun. To find a flower drawn toward it is a perfect allegory for the longing in our hearts to know something greater than ourselves, to know our source, so to speak. Okay, And again, most people are in touch with this. 88% of people, according to a recent poll by Cambridge University, I put this in our newsletter also, 88% of the people in the world old enough to decide for themselves believe in God as a spirit or an energy. Now, a lot of uneducated, poorly educated, less sophisticated people think of God as portrayed on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. A European guy, a white guy with a long beard, reaching out from very far away. But scholars and theologians in all religions, and those who study comparative religion and philosophy, are virtually unanimous in their agreement that God exists not as a physical form, not in a body that is separated and 
and far away, but as a magnetic, there it is again, a magnetic field, or if you wish, a matrix. Not the insidious matrix of the film trilogy, but uh, an organized magnetic field of energy that exists outside of time and space, yet permeates time and space, and therefore is everywhere equally present. Van Morrison did a song years ago, a wonderful song, Love is Everywhere. Uh, Love is everywhere equally present. I think Sting uses that line too. Love is everywhere. I mean, this, this brings up the fallacy of looking for love. You know, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, the very idea of looking for love. Or the conundrum uh, I was reminded of recently. I saw the end of uh, The Wizard of Oz on TV. The old Judy Garland version where the wizard says to Dorothy near the end of the film, uh, or maybe he says it to the Tin Man. I, I think actually he's speaking at the time to the Tin Man who needed a heart, who didn't have a heart. And he said, it's not who you love, it's who loves you that matters. Uh, as wonderful as that L. Frank Baum story is, that particular line promotes the fallacy that love is a commodity that gets passed around. That we could give love or receive love. We can direct love and we can withhold love, but it's a magnetism, it's an energy. It's obviously not a physical thing. It has no shape, love. It has no form, not as an emotion, and there are even lower forms. Love, you could argue, starts with lust in the second chakra, or some would say the first chakra. The system I study, uh, I think, is a superior system uh, explaining these seven energy, uh, psycho-spiritual, physical ports along the spine suggests that the second chakra, the sacral plexus, is the center of sexuality and therefore lust. Well, a lot of what people, especially young people, call love is actually animal lust. So this is the lowest frequency, arguably, of love or this magnetic attraction. Then there is solar plexus, the third chakra, love, which is the romantic love that we're talking about. The fourth chakra is the heart. And you say, well, I thought I would think love would be in the heart center. It is. But as spiritual love, you don't open the heart center until you give up all selfishness and any need to be appreciated or to receive love in return. If you expect to be loved in return for having loved someone, 
you're still in the solar plexus, or maybe even the sacral plexus, is centered below the heart area. Love comes into the fourth chakra, the heart area, only as we grow beyond our sense of separated individuals giving and receiving love and recognize the the oneness of the human race and indeed all life, the one life, the one thing, the one mind, the one heart. Uh, when you're willing to give your life for another, not just someone you love, but anybody, when you're really working on understanding what does it mean to love your enemy. It means to stop frightening them, to stop using fear, to refuse to be afraid, but also to refuse to frighten and to practice instead kindness and love. The Tibetan Buddhists are very clear on, they put it together as a single hyphenated word, loving kindness as a practice a service to humanity but even beyond humanity to all living things and then even beyond to the ecosystem the you know plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom as well imagine if human beings learn to love in significant numbers not just each other but every human being start with respect Listen to the class we did just a few weeks ago on the power of respect and learn to grant dignity to all individuals, even those that frighten you or disgust you or terrorize you. To, to love your enemies is to respect them, if not to trust them, at least to respect them and to understand that they suffer as you suffer, broken hearts, loss, grief, you know, heartache, <laughs> uh, aging, disease, and in the end, death, uh, compassion, and, and mercy, forgiveness. These are qualities of love as consciousness, and yet it's all magnetic. Lust is magnetic, second chakra, sacral. Emotional love, third chakra, solar plexus, is magnetic. Fourth chakra, the heart, which is the harmony and the unity of mankind and indeed all the kingdoms, the one life. All right. That's magnetic. One of the most significant spiritual experiences or awakenings that I've ever had in my life came from watching one of my cats. He's named Huxley after Aldous Huxley. And he's a remarkable cat. He's big. He's a big, giant, 23-pound, all-black cat with white whiskers and an hourglass flash of white on his chest. He's a magnificent cat. He came to us three days after 
our last dog died. I lived in Glendale, California at the time. My wife and I had three dogs, and they all died within a few months of each other of uh, old age. Suddenly we had no more dogs. Well, a couple of days later, this giant black cat shows up. He was a lot skinnier back then. It was more like 15 or 16 pounds. Now he's 23. He's he doesn't have to live on mice. He, <laughs> you know, he gets fed. But I was watching Huxley one morning, and he was, as I said before, laying in this strip of sunshine that uh, was coming in between an opening in the curtains. He found that little strip of direct sunlight and was laying in the sunlight. And I just started looking at him from across the room in a very mindful and detached way with no judgment, just witnessing in the present moment this cat laying in the sun and then beginning to stretch. And he got up and did one of those kitty yoga things that they do. You can learn all you need to know about yoga from watching animals. That's what Tai Chi is, actually. It's all pulled from nature and the way animals move. And I watched this cat stretch and yawn. And I suddenly realized that he represented the catness of God. The love of God as a cat. That this was not an animal limited to its separated body, living in a world of separated form that was manufactured or made by God, who is some sort of separated being living very far away in some remote corner of the universe outside of space and time, perhaps, in this remote, undefined place called heaven. That... that what we call God has extended itself into creation. And it's, it's not that, that God made every living thing and the stars and the planets and, and, and every material thing, but that divinity, God, if you will, the absolute, I really prefer that philosophical term, the absolute, the, the source, the creator, if you will, has extended itself into form. And this is God, and that is God, and everything that you can perceive, and even that which you cannot perceive, but which exists, wasn't made by God the way you would make something and set it aside, put it on a shelf, look at this thing I made over here, the separated form. But then when spirit expresses itself as matter, it's an extension that, that God has this quality of needing to express itself. So do you. Look at how you feel when you are not expressing your personal truth. Each of us needs self-expression. So doesn't it make sense that the source of all things, 
the oneness of all things needs to express itself and the part of itself that is like a cat is expressed in cats in house cats in lions in leopards in tigers in panthers in cheetahs and mountain lions and lynxes and and every other kind of cat and of course the dogs and every other creature as well as the birds of the air the mammals and the fishes in the sea and there's a few mammals in the sea as well the dolphins and the whales which are not fish <laughs> they're animals or they're mammals they're all animals the animal kingdom that's a very important distinction. And I draw upon that often to reorient myself. And it, it's a big leap to develop your love, your capital L love, your consciousness, your awareness to the point that you see and hear and taste and smell and touch these are your five physical senses. The sixth sense, so-called, is emotional intelligence, your intuitive nature, your intuition. All forms of perception, perceiving what? The one God, the absolute, the one source, the one creator, the one life, the one thing, the una verse and that as you look at the forms around you the other people and the cats and the dogs and the plants and the trees and the gases and the liquids and all that exists it's important that you see them as qualities of this divinity as expressions of this divinity that are not separated that are more a reflection that matter is a reflection or an extension of spirit and not separated at all. And that this is made possible by the magnetic nature of love and that you can develop that understanding by searching for, honoring, respecting the love in your heart beyond lust and romance and emotional love to the longing of the part to be whole. You see, the dilemma here in the material world is that by all appearances, we've been separated from the source. Now, it's only an appearance, but it's real enough. It's certainly real enough because we experience fear. Philosophically, it can be argued that the reason to exist in the incarnated world is to learn to use love to master and eliminate, to transform, transmute, uplift, or redeem fear. Love redeems fear. The story of redemption in religion need not be limited to a lifetime. 
it's not a lifetime redeemed or a soul that has fallen, the Adam and Eve story, into disgrace that needs redemption. Every one of your fears needs redemption. And we do that with the quality of love known as understanding. Just as fear walks hand in hand with ignorance, love walks hand in hand with understanding. Love and understanding. Understanding is a quality of love. And so, just as you understand spiritual love to be the antithesis of fear, or even better said, more accurately said, Fear is the absence of love. Ignorance would be the absence of understanding, don't you see? And so it is up to us to develop our conscious awareness, our love as consciousness, as awareness, to face our fear and understand it to face our fear and embrace our fear, to learn about it, to understand it, to bring light to it, (laughs) to get to this, oh, I see, kind of a place, and the fear vaporizes. It ceases to be, just as the shadow will not resist light. No, this is a perfect metaphysical allegory for love and fear, light and dark. They're not opposing forces. They're opposites only in terms of language. Please, it is so important to understand this. That light is an energy or a force, and darkness is not an energy It's a nightmare. (laughs) It's the absence of light. The shadow is the absence of love and light. Evil is the absence of a loving consciousness. And to eliminate it, you don't need to kill it or destroy it. You just bring your light into the shadow, and it ceases to be. Hot and cold, the same thing. These are not opposing forces. Heat and cold do not struggle with each other. When you open the refrigerator, it's not that you're letting the cold out. It's you're letting the heat in. The heat is real. The cold is only an appearance. I mean, how do you make it cold inside a refrigerator? What's the magic of the refrigerator? Or the freezer. It's a heat pump. (laughs) It just pumps the heat out of the box. Cold is not a force. Darkness is not a force. They are the absence of heat and light. And evil and ignorance is not a force, thank God. But the absence of love and light which is magnetic, it radiates into the darkness. 
into the evil, into the ignorance, if you will but turn your attention in that direction and commit yourself to that. And understand, you are a manifestation of divine love. It's, 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 not, it's not merely that you have the love within you that you're looking for. You are that love. You are divine love. You exist as divine love. And therefore, how could it surprise us that we could come in touch just by turning your attention in the direction of the intention to experience this urge, this longing, this heartfelt magnetic attraction to a higher power, to something more, to your source, to your creator. That may be all the religion you need to know that you love and that you are love and that your awareness, not your thoughts, your awareness of your thoughts, not your emotional nature, your awareness of your emotions in a mindful and detached way. That's who you are. When I say you're not your thoughts, you have an ability to say no to any thought you want to say no to. You can embrace a thought, reinforce it, believe it, carry it around and propagate it. But you can also drop it let it go it is a simple but profound statement to say you do not have to believe everything you think just because you think it <laughs> doesn't make it true just because you think it's true doesn't make it true just because it's always appeared to be true doesn't mean it's in your interest, even if it were to be true. Okay? And that's mindfulness. That's how you develop consciousness mindfully to identify with that magnetic nature, with that longing of the part to be whole. Okay? That's the the title of our class today, The Longing of the Part to Be Whole. Love, the magnetic nature of love. Love as consciousness, love as awareness. Now in the past, I have talked a bit about the differences between consciousness and awareness. And it depends upon the system. And it's rather advanced, uh, arcane, somewhat esoteric, so I'm not going to get into it uh, today. I will again in the future. For the majority of what I present in these Sunday classes, we can use these terms synonymously. Capital L love, consciousness, awareness. Right? Put an equal sign between those three terms. Love is consciousness. That's a major, major breakthrough. How do I develop my consciousness? 
or my awareness? How do I get higher consciousness or expanded awareness? How do I elevate my point of view so I can perceive the bigger, more complete picture and understand the greater truth? How can I promote an awareness that allows me to see harmony and unity where in the past I had only seen differences and conflict and adversity? You do it by becoming more loving. You do it by meditating and contemplating in states of inner peace where you feel safe and relaxed. And that peace and that quiet slows down the distractions of the mind and calms the distractions of the emotional nature of the heart and allows you to become sensitive to the longing of the part to be whole. As your mind quiets, your emotional nature becomes calm, and your physical body remains still. Something remains. And that's the essence of who you are, the higher self, as Steve and I call it in our premium audio at FocusedPassion.com. Finding yourself in paradise for a dozen people this week means coming to Maui. <laughs> but, but the practice they're going to learn is to take it home with them because there is a paradise inside each of us that we can draw upon when we need it, when we're stressed out, when we're freaking out standing on the verge of some sort of panic attack, uh, trapped in a gridlock traffic jam on some interstate freeway in the middle of a big city, running late for an appointment, on deadline, freaking out. There's a peaceful, quiet, safe, and relaxed place of higher consciousness, of expanded awareness within you. And you can bring it about. You can go there by letting go of everything that's not love. And then beginning to honor your connection to your spiritual source, your connection to God or the absolute through this longing to know it. Just like Asagioli said with the flower turning toward the sun, reaching toward the sun, pulled magnetically toward the sun. And think about magnetism, of course. Whether it's the flower in the sun or you, someone that you love romantically. Uh, you know, as I say, it's not giving love and receiving love so much as it's a mutual attraction. And the spiritual dimension, like attracts like. And opposites repel. This is why karma works. This is why it's so important to understand and practice the golden rule. Because you do get back what you put out. And people will treat you the way you treat them. You see? So whatever you want to get back from life, that's what you have to give. 
But from a spiritual point of view, it's not giving and receiving the way we give and receive objects and pass them around. It's more of a mutual magnetic attraction, and as I said before, an organized field or a matrix of energy. This is the longing of the part. You, the part. You are divinity from a particular point of view, expressed into the physical world, separated only by appearance, and that gives birth to this feeling of separation, of, of alienation, that we call fear. But it's no more real than the shadow. You say, well, darkness is scary enough, isn't it? I mean, it's got to be real on some level. And you could freeze to death. So, better don't say it's not real. Right? Well, ultimately, it's not real. It's not a force, it's not an energy, it's not a material thing. But it, in the physical dimension, it does exist. So that's why I say it's real enough. Yeah, you could freeze to death. But the power of consciousness trumps it all. There's a story, I, you know, I hesitate to tell it because I've never been able to confirm whether it's real. But I've heard it from several different sources, and it certainly could be a true story. I'm going to continue to try to validate it. I'll tell it anyway, because I've heard it from several very credible sources. Just never seen the attribution that I need as a journalist to be able to report it as definitively true. But it's a story about a fellow that was cleaning one of these refrigerated uh, train cars and he got locked inside the train car and uh, everybody went home and this this worker was locked inside this refrigerated train car overnight and it's getting colder and colder and colder as his body heat ebbed away and by the the time they found him the next morning he was dead but the truth of the matter was, it was not a freezer car. It was a refrigerated car, and it never got colder than 50 degrees. And there was no reason for him to die, other than that he expected he was going to. It was his mind that killed him. His belief system, his expectation that he was going to freeze to death having been locked in this railroad car that killed him, not the actual temperature. You know, So whatever we say about physical dense, understand that it's trumped by consciousness. If you're one of those people who likes, let's say, astrology to find out what your future is, or you go to a psychic to find out what your future is, uh, there are subtle influences in the world but you can trump those with consciousness with awareness <laughs> you know any psychic or astrologer that says that your future is fixed is a charlatan and a fool 
don't ever believe it. Your future is malleable, and to whatever extent there is an ability in the ethers to see, to anticipate some future outcome, it can be changed, it can be modified. Nothing is more powerful than consciousness as love. Nothing is more powerful than love as consciousness. Capital L, love. Human awareness. It is the emanation, the magnetic manifestation of divinity. That's who you are. That's what you are. And you can feel the longing in your heart. The longing of the part to be whole. Honor it. Use it. Bring it into the shadow as you would a flashlight. Bring it into the cold and the ignorance, the fear and the confusion as you would warmth and light and love. Let's go to the questions. If uh, you're on the telephone and you have a question, hit star two. If you're uh, on the web and you want to leave a text message, even just to say hi, you'll see the box in the lower left or click on the website where it says ask a question and the box will open up for you. Type your comments or your question in there. Plug in your name and your city. Hit submit when you're done. I won't see it if you don't hit submit. Again, if you're on the phone, star two will indicate to me that you would like to uh, speak on the uh, on the event. I don't see any hands raised. So let's go to the Q&A page, the text page, see who's here today. And then, again, my apologies, i got to run quickly because of the uh, event on the other side of the island where... We're starting our five-day intensive today, the Maui Mindfulness Retreat. So we got to get out of here. In uh, Kihei, right here on the right here on the island of Maui, South Shore, Bonnie Peterson says hello. Hi, I'm Bonnie in Kihei. Hello, Bonnie. I think I I think we're Facebook friends, and uh, it's nice to hear from you. Glad you're here. Aloha to Bonnie and Kihei. Carol Postel in La Habra, California. Hello, Carol. She says, hi, Michael. And Doreen in Brookings, Oregon. Bruce is with us again this week. He says, aloha, Michael. Glad to be here. Happy Valentine's Day to you and Doreen and everybody at the retreat. Thank you, Bruce. It's a good reminder, since we're talking about the longing of the part to be whole, and love that tomorrow is Valentine's Day so I hope it's a very special Valentine's Day for all of you Phil in Canoga Park says hi Scott Schroeder in San Francisco one of my favorite cities says uh, thank you for this Michael we're enjoying cherry and apple and magnolia blossoms here in San Francisco lots of love how do I make this little submit question window larger so I can see what I'm writing. I don't know. Glasses? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, this is a this teleseminar service I subscribe to on a monthly basis. I didn't write it. And I can't uh, 
uh, reprogram it or do anything about that, unfortunately. But uh, you always have the telephone as an option. Um, and Scott uh, comes back the second time and says, uh, since I could not submit all in one window, as you're talking, I get this image of myself as a magnet with a north and a south pole, spirit flowing through an electro-love magnetism radiating out to all around me. As the spirit increases, so does the love. Yeah, you got it, buddy. That's, that's the bar magnet metaphor of metaphysics. The, the north pole of the magnet corresponds to spirit, the south pole to the material world, and the magnetic field that unifies what would otherwise appear to be opposites in the one whole electromagnetic field, that middle element, the magnetic field, is the sun, the soul, the heart and the soul of the whole system. That's the Christ or the Buddha nature of things. So, Father, North Pole, Mother, South Pole, Divine Will, North Pole, Material Manifestation, Intelligent Activity, South Pole, Pole, all right? Spirit and matter are the poles. And then the magnetic field is the soul or the sun. The love, the consciousness, and it's magnetic and radiatory. It's also cohesive. And it redeems, it improves, it uplifts. Check out my website. There's on the splash page a description of the nature of this uh, this model. And it's a very rich and important model. It's an entry point. It, it, it's you know it's not the end of things. <laughs> it's just the beginning. So uh, checking back on the phone, they still don't see any hands raised. So I'm going to conclude the class today. Uh, forgive me. I'm uh, I'm going to skip the meditation. But if you feel like meditating, you can listen to the archive. Pretty much every class we do ends with a meditation. But uh, it takes about 10, 15, 20 minutes to do that. And again, i got a responsibility to get out and help set up this event. Technically, it begins at 6 o'clock tonight, Hawaii time. So we got a lot of work to do, and I'm going to back out of here. I sure appreciate you being here today. Remember, the... The archives are available at theagelesswisdom.com, and the T-H-E is part of that, so after the W's, it's dot theagelesswisdom.com. You can email me at mb, my initials for Michael Benner, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. You can leave me a voice message anytime, 24-7, on my service in Los Angeles, that's 818-569-3017-569-3017 in the 818 area code, anytime, 24-7. And um, again, the archive on the Ageless Wisdom, to get there, just click on the home page and then web teleconferences and all the programs are there. Pick up the podcast, if you wish, 
at the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories on the Internet. And for a premium audio program that is studio quality, I have to do this on the phone, but a studio quality premium audio with my business partner, my friend for over 30 years, Steve Snyder, weekly conversations on personal empowerment, metaphysics and such, Finding Yourself in Paradise, a premium audio for only 99 cents. You can buy individual programs or subscribe for just $3.96 a month. Go to FocusedPassion.com, our sister website, the W's.FocusedPassion.com. There are excerpts, brief two, three-minute excerpts that you can listen to. When you click on the button, that says get free programs. You can subscribe simply by leaving your name, email address, choose a password to get an account. And next time you log in, you can do it right away. As soon as you get that password, you'll have six free programs. And if you want to get 10 more free sample programs, there's a free podcast called Empower Yourself in Paradise. And... Go to the iTunes store and search for Empower Yourself in Paradise. Or just put my name in there. And uh, you'll get a podcast that in the next 10 weeks will give you 10 more free programs. So there's 16 free samples of a premium audio program that easily could sell for 15 or $20 and it's just 99 cents. So get the free ones first. See if you like it. Listen to the excerpts at least. And then get a free account with your name and your email address. Poke around. You're not going to break anything. Okay? And uh, again, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for being here. Hope you'll join us next week and whenever possible for the live mystery school. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.